Well, we've uh, just been doing a quick couple of series here on calling. And last week we talked about the state of the church and God's calling upon uh, the church. And kind of ended up talking about uh, gratitude. And that really we ought to be tilling the soil of gratitude. And this week we make it more personal. And we actually go to the story of Moses and talk about what's it look like for you and me to receive a call from God. Because there is a distinct shape to it on how God calls a person. And so um, here's Moses' calling. It's in Exodus chapter 3. So if you want to pull it up on your phone or if you have your Bible with you, it's a longer passage. So you'll probably want to have it in front of you and it'll disappear from the screen. So if you want to keep looking at it to uh, run through it and look for the marks that we'll talk through, like six different marks that are coming at you on, the, on what it looks like to receive a call. So Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's actually quite a famous, familiar story. It's the burning bush story. So I call them sports center passages because ESPN Sports Center will talk about, they've met the, you know, the Titans have come to the burning bush. And you're like, oh, okay. Anyway, I always see those kind of passages around you, like Hail Mary passes and stuff like that. All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, and yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am God of your father. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Good idea, Moses. Ah, that famous story of Moses in the burning bush, this burning bush moment for Moses and it changed his life forever. He's going to be sent back to Egypt to free a people, the Hebrew people. This was his turning point. This is his call right here, his burning bush. So I'm convinced that each of us are called by God. Uh, some callings are more dramatic. Others seem more mundane. But there is certainly a call from God to motherhood or to fatherhood or to adopt or whatever. Some are called to serve their nation. Others are called into the marketplace or into society to uh, make the world a better place, to provide services and products and so forth. I think it's a calling. Others are called into ministry. Others are called to social service to help people cope with life and make life more manageable, the best of what they've been allotted. How do you know you've received a call from God? What is the biblical pattern for identifying a calling? So this morning, we want to put forth just a couple of key elements of a calling. First, let's see what the Bible uh, shows us as a call from God using Moses' burning bush moment. And second, let's see if we can leverage this calling in life. Let's energize the call, all right? All right. Back in the 1960s, a German scholar, Norman Habel, uh, identified six distinct stages that make up a calling. Yeah. Okay, so Norm, 
came up with, he identified looking at a bunch of different call stories like a Samuel and Elijah and so forth. And he says, it looks like there's about six different components to a call in the Bible. And Moses is probably one of the best examples going. His calling to lead the people out of 430 years of slavery in Egypt. So there, here they are. Here are the six things. Divine confrontation, the burning bush, yeah. Two, the introductory word, I am God, I'm the God of your father. So I am the God, you know. And three, uh, the commission, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Four, the, <laughs> the objections, because like, oh, go to Pharaoh. Oh, okay, whoa, that's, a, that's scary. So there's like, I can't do this stuff, and that's what we all do. Then fifth, reassurance, reassurance, assurance, if I can say the word, Aaron shall speak, take a staff with you. You know, I got a staff up here. We'll get back to the staff in just a moment. You're going to need a staff if you're going to get called by God. I'm just telling you. All right. And then sixth, right, the staff becomes a snake. Uh, Moses' hand becomes leprous when he puts it inside of his cloak and takes it out. And then the Nile River becomes blood. These are the affirmations, these, these signs, these reassuring signs that come. All right, so here we go. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is minding his own business, or at least he's trying. Keep in mind, this is Moses who is attempting to live a normal life after being sent down the Nile as a baby in the Nile River in a basket by his mother. And then the baby Moses is picked up out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses, who had been sent down the river in a basket, is now suddenly a prince of Egypt. Thank you, Disney. So I'm just saying, who here has been sent down the Nile River in a basket? Okay, not many of us have done it, right? I know we wanted to, but we didn't get to do it. I'm just saying, you may not have had as dramatic of a start unless maybe you were adopted or something like that, and that's about as close as we're going to get here. But nonetheless, Moses starts off with this crazy little story. <clears throat> you fast forward in Moses' life, and he's a young man, and he's powerful. He's like second in command in the nation. And Moses sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. Moses is infuriated, kills the taskmaster and buries him in the sand. Of course, then Moses is quite scared because he just committed murder and he flees far, far away. I mean, really far away. He leaves Egypt and goes way over to the, to the east, to the land of Midian, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, certainly out in the middle of nowhere. And he's hiding and he takes on a brand new identity. Um, he's a goat herder. He just takes on a whole new life and he tries to settle down and then boom, here comes God chasing him down. Call element number one, divine confrontation, the burning bush. I find it interesting that when God needs to get our attention, God does it in, in somewhat surprising ways for a lot of people, but also interesting that he does it in a subversive way, in a way that sort of tricks you, in a way that you can't manage, which makes it very godlike. Yeah? Surprising yet subversive. Maybe God got your attention through unemployment. That would be a little subversive. You lost your job or whatever. And so now, what are you going to do? You, you, maybe you lost your girlfriend. And that's certainly surprising and subversive, perhaps. But of course, the divine confrontation does not have to involve things always going bad. 
you know, although bad seems to get our attention pretty quick. I mean, you look at Moses. He's just minding his own business. Things are good in his new life. He's got a nice wife. He's got uh, a really rich father-in-law. And now he's got some own, of his own herds of sheep and goats. And he's actually being quite prosperous. He's looking pretty good. It's all looking great. Nobody there knows anything about Egypt and murder and any of the rest of this stuff. Now, for me, on the divine confrontation, there I was working in marketing out on College Boulevard uh, for a firm, and we were in trucking and general aviation, all right? And I come home from church one Sunday. I went to an early service at a church, and I'm sitting there on the sofa, and I'm drinking coffee, and I'm listening to some, you know, progressive jazz, and just it's all easy. No one's home. And then suddenly, I get this vision in my head. Never had that before. And it's a picture of a vast ocean of people, like waves and waves of of people as far as the eye could see, at least my eye. And I just assumed, like, we got to be, like, standing in heaven or someplace where there must be oceans of people. I don't know. And, um, And a voice says in my head, know as many people here as possible. Poof, and it's gone. And I start crying because I knew at that moment in this confrontation, I thought, my life is never going to be the same. I don't know what it's going to be, but something now has drastically shifted inside of my head, heart, soul, body. Years later, three, four years later, uh, I go off to seminary. And I wasn't even planning on starting a church when I went to seminary. I was going to be an executive pastor, as they called it, because I was in the business world. And I thought, well, I can, run a, I can run a shop. No big deal. I can bring resources to bear. And uh, there, I even get confronted with, you know, planning a church, right? So um, I wasn't praying about this. I wasn't asking God for direction. I didn't feel lost. I didn't have any problems. Everything was going pretty good. I, I wasn't in a career crisis. Um, so, so what about you? You know, where are you at these days? Have you ever had a divine confrontation? Have you ever had something where it just kind of slams into you like that? Have you ever had a burning bush moment in your life? Have you ever, uh, have you ever had this sort of thing? I mean, if you have and you've been diligent and tenacious in your calling, what, what, what does it look like? I think... Being a parent, being a mom or a dad is a calling. (laughs) And yeah, it's subversive. You hear the stories, but when you get into it for yourself and it's 2.30 in the morning and somebody's like puking, you you think like, wow, God, just you and me up here in the middle of the night. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, like, that's a calling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whoever wished for that. So, but you knew that it was coming. And what about someone who's an artist? I know you got three jobs. So, you know, that's a calling, right? And what about helpers? People like medical people right now, good grief, they're the saints, you know? What about a thankless job going on right now? I mean, we say thanks to them, but, you know, thanks. You know what I'm saying? That's tough. And what about athletes? There's a calling, people who are on their way to try and make it on a team or go to the Olympics or whatever. Business owners, you got in way over your head and you're loving every second of it and it's going to kill you. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's, just, it's just a calling. What about ministry leaders? And today, in particular, I'd love to talk to young people about a ministry call and what that looks like. Well, that's the divine confrontation 
and it's kind of a long one. Introductory word comes second. That's the call element. For Moses, God introduces himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of your father. And remember, Moses grew up in Egypt, and he really didn't grow up. And the Hebrews had been 430 years that they were in slavery. They'd really kind of forgotten entirely who they were. They'd forgotten God. They, they kind of knew they were Hebrews, of course. But they didn't have any sort of cultic practice or anything like that. No culture around them. Now, uh, I believe this introductory word is necessary, especially necessary for Moses because Moses was hiding. And this is a really interesting thing. And a lot of us are hiding as well. We're hiding from ourselves and we're hiding from something. So here's what I notice about this introductory word. Um, notice Moses is out in the wilderness and he's, he's a goat herder, right? He's just, he's got a great life going. He's minding his own business and he's all at peace. But he's also out in the middle of nowhere. Remember, he has no, 3,000 years ago, there's no phone to thumb there's no television. There's no cars going by. He's totally alone. I find this really, really interesting because he has no duties and no home and no sick kids or whatever and stuff like that. And, and he's, I've just noticed that I've been, well, I've been leading retreats around here for years. I changed out my entire job so I could take you guys on weekend or even longer uh, solitude retreats. Solitude and silence. So here's Moses. He's out in solitude and silence. Seems like there's a connection. When people get off into solitude and silence, they begin to hear the voice of God. All the retreatants are supposed to be nodding right now. Something about solitude and silence will get you in front of a burning bush. And God will show up if we make the time and space for it. When we go to quiet... God shows up. Maybe God's been showing up the whole time. We just can't, don't have any time or capacity to actually recognize God in our lives, right? Nonetheless, Moses is out in the middle of nowhere, and he hears the voice of God, and he sees the burning bush, and he goes to find out what's going on. Of course, you know, everyone becomes afraid when God starts chasing them down. Everyone gets afraid. You got to lean into it. You got to go find out what the bush is going to say. You've got to go see why it's not consumed. You've got to lean into the voice of God. You've got to hope and you've got to be positive. You've got to assume the best. Let God take your life in a new direction. Pay attention. It could be God speaking. This is your calling. This is your moment. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Don't miss it. Perhaps even this morning, right now, even in the next few minutes, God may be talking to you. And you've come here to church. You've slowed down for a moment. And maybe you're going to say, God, I, I believe you're calling me to something. And maybe I've been hiding. But you're telling me that you're God. Third call element, the commission. The commission, in other words, the assignment, the task that you've been given. For Moses, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is your job. No confusion here for Moses. It's a very clear directive. Go back to Egypt and free my people. And Moses is now thinking, free your people? You mean back in Egypt where I murdered somebody and I've been on the run for years and years and years? 
that place? You want me to go back to Pharaoh, the guy I offended, where my own people I've come to understand, the Hebrews don't like me and the Egyptians don't like me? You want me to go back there? Call element number four, the objections. And they come pouring forth rapidly out of Moses' mouth. And they come out of our mouths too. God, I could never do that. I don't want to do that. What will I do for money? What will I do for a home? What am I going to do about, am I going to have to drive a youth ministry car? I mean, all of that's going to start pouring out. And for Moses, he's like, well, you know, I can't talk right. And God says, well, you know, Aaron's going to speak for you. That's cool. And he says, what if they object? What if they just say no? On and on and on. All the objections come out. And he finally just gets desperate and he just says, just send somebody else, God. <laughs> like he ran out of excuses. You can just tell he's getting desperate and scraping the bottom of the barrel on that one. Just send somebody else. I'm no good at this. Maybe God thought that was great, that Moses wasn't good at it. Good grief. I'm, I'm standing up here. You know, that's cool. Five, reassurances. The objections and the reassurances are, are tense time and the call from God. When Gabriel told Zechariah in the Christmas story, you know, that his son John, who becomes John the Baptist, that he would be baptized, the, the baptizing prophet who would call the nation back to purity and come before the Messiah, that's Jesus. And Zechariah doubts God. The father of John the Baptist, he doubts God. And the, here comes this really interesting moment, right? Because what happens then to Zechariah is God says, okay, you don't believe me? You don't want to follow this? You don't think this is all going to happen? Clamp. And then Zechariah is smitten with, he can't speak. He can't speak. I think God's kind of following the solitude and silence thing and saying like, hey, Zechariah, you don't really want to pay attention to what I'm saying? Then like, maybe you ought to just not talk for about six months. But we'll us do a little solitude, a little forced solitude for you, huh? Maybe some silence would be good for you. You're like, that's the reassurance? <laughs> mm hmm. You ever crashed into God? It doesn't turn out exactly the way you planned it. That's the whole point of crashing into God. That's the way it works. That's the way it is. These objections and these reassurances, they go hand in hand. Our excuses are always met with God's promises. And I remember when I was in college and I realized I was terrible at math and I was in engineering. This was not going to work out. So in my junior year, my junior year, I, I got to change majors, right? So I had a semester where I took like journalism and teaching and I found out I'm really glad I didn't do those. And so I ended up in uh, personnel administration, HR, talent, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, but um, Here's what my best friend told me, best friend, right? And he's still my best friend, by the way. And he said, maybe you should just drop out. And I thought, no, that's not the answer. And I just heard God kind of saying, like, you know what your job is, Mr. Junior in college? Your, your job is going to, going to school. So why don't you buckle down and treat this like you're supposed to be here? So I took 23 hours next semester instead of the usual 15. And it was my I did better at 23 hours for a semester than I ever did at 15 hours because I could not do a single nothing, anything else in life but study. And it focused me and I got out of there, you know, but it was really, really hard. 
I got clarity on it. And I was supposed to be there. And that was my reassurance. Now, Moses had a staff. That's the one thing. He, he didn't get an army. He didn't get a tank or a large elephant or nothing. All he got was a stick to go back to Egypt. And uh, just him and his staff. That's all Moses got. And he, and, but the thing is, you know, you get a staff in your hand, and there's something about it. I don't know what it is. It's some our inner caveman or whatever, but you get out in the woods, and maybe it's just my inner Boy Scout, but I got to cut down a, a, a stick, a tree, and make a staff. There's something about it that says, I got places to go. I'm on the move. I'm going somewhere. Why? Because I got this stick in my hand. Hmm. It just happens that way. He had a staff in his hand, and with a staff in your hand, you can strike out on life's course. It somehow goes along with a mission in life. And the staff is made for walking. It's made for trekking. It's made for hiking. It says, go up. Go back down. You're on a journey. Life is a compass, not a map. Just head out. Take off. Go. Something about a staff makes that happen. You're on a mission, folks. Get busy. Get on with it. The staff, Moses could fend off wild animals and bandits and so forth from his flocks. The staff gives you comfort and reassurance in the midst of doubt. Maybe you need to find a good beefy stick in life. Maybe you need to go out in the winter woods. Find yourself a stick. Try, try it out. Try walking around with it. See what happens. See what you feel like. Wear it. See what happens, yeah? Get off the sofa and find a stick. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe that's God's call. Sixth thing is the sign. For Moses, God tells him to throw down the staff, and so he throws down the staff, and it becomes a snake. And he says, pick it up by the tail. Good idea. I'm not sure that actually really works in herpetology or whatever it's called, but he picked it up, and it became a stick again. That was good. Phew. And then he says, now put your hand inside your cloak. And he pulls it back out, and it's all leprous or whatever the disease was that we now call leprosy back then. And he puts it back in, pulls it back out, and it's clean. So there's another sign, right? And, and then the last thing is it says, so when you get there in front of Pharaoh, you're going to pick up some water from the Nile. You're going to pick it up, and then you're going to dump it out. It's going to turn to blood. And if you're an Egyptian and the Nile turns to blood, you ain't got no Egypt because Egypt is the Nile. So, those are the reassuring signs that Moses had, and he did all those in front of Pharaoh. God tells Moses, says, Moses, if Pharaoh doesn't believe the first two signs, then, then I have a more convincing uh, thing to show you when I turn the, the river into uh, blood. I had, my, uh, I had my doubts about starting Lakeland Community Church. I told God, this is always nice, notice the language, I told God, I told God, said, God, if after five years we don't have 200 people, then uh, I'll quit. You know, I'll just quit. And um, the number came back after five years, 199. <laughs> that's real funny, God. I'm just laughing all the way. That's, that's really, really funny. Now, some of you are thinking like, dude, are you so dense you didn't get the sign? Stop the stupid church idea. You missed the goal. But I, I took it as another way. I took it as the way of God saying like, yeah, see, 
you're the one who told me that it's going to be 200, and you're the one who told me the way it's going to be, and you were giving me orders. And it doesn't really work that way with God. I call the shots. I said, yeah, I get it. Pick up the staff, keep walking. And that's the way life works out. See, when God calls you, um, you don't get to call the shots. And God's calling everyone. Do you get to call all the shots in your life? Or you just pick up the staff and go? That's the way it works. And anybody who thinks they're going to call all the shots in their life is kidding themselves. What you have instead is God Almighty. And that's what you need. And that's all you need. And it'll take a lifetime to learn that lesson. It'll take a lifetime. Amen.